my name's Keegan. Got into the cannabis space in 2018 at a laboratory and have now been working with cannabis data going on for plus years now. So love to hear about what you'd like in the industry, what you're doing and what you hope to get out of the group. So Daniel, would you mind kicking it off? Sure. Um, I just completed a data analytics uh, program for the, over the past few months and was looking at different types of uh, data events and this popped up at the top. So I figured I'd come check it out. Certainly, uh, my name is Dean Pangelinen. I'm a senior business intelligence strategist for a company called Merge World. We're in the digital marketing space and uh, some of our clients are actually in the cannabis industry. So I'm wanting to learn more about the scientific analysis of cannabis data uh, because I am a statistician by training and work primarily in the visualization and representation of the data. So I want to be able to find out how I can best help our help our clients and candidates. You're definitely in the right place. Data visualization is a key part of what we do. So we'd love to have your expertise. I'm thrilled to pick your brain. TJ, and would you be introduced, interested in introducing yourself? Uh, sure. Hi, I'm uh, TJ Goff. Uh, I am a back-end engineer working at Lantern, which is a uh, cannabis delivery startup based out of Boston. Too cool. Cannabis delivery is a big, big thing. So you're well positioned for a profitable future. So awesome. That's the idea. <laughs> we'll have to get pick your brain on transportation because we've got a lot of transportation data. Ramneet, would you be interested in introducing yourself? Yes. Um, hi, thank you for organizing this meetup. Uh, so um, I'm taking this program in data analytics and I'm learning all the machine learning and statistical modeling and data visualization and all the different techniques. So when I saw this, I found the data is interesting, like can I buy data? Wow. <laughs> like what can I see in that data? So hence I'm joining and let's see where what I learned from here. Thank you. Awesome. You're also in the right place. Thanks for joining. Trav, would you be interested in introducing yourself? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm Trav. I'm just interested in the industry and I want to learn more about data analytics. Too cool. It's going to be a big field. So once again, there's a high demand for people with data analytics skills. So you're well positioned too. Well, without further ado, I'll go ahead and share with you some of the work I've been doing because really it's just to guide a discussion. Um, so don't let me steal the show, but hopefully it'll spark a good, a good conversation here. Well, welcome to the meetup. Last week we looked at laboratories and then this week I figured let's get a bit more to the production side. We'll get to cultivation next week, but we can start with processing. So I'm sure all of you are acquainted with processed cannabis. Up in the top left corner, we've got product known as Shatter, testing at 74% THC. And so this is a new and an old process. So I was going to dive in a bit to the history before we get to the data, because it's so fascinating to know where all, all these processes came from. So I said, you know, humans are basically just remarkably good at using plants 
as factories to produce complex chemicals. And people have been doing this with cannabis, hemp for a long time now. So people think that cannabis was being processed in India as early as 1000 BC. So, you know, we're going on potentially, you know, 3000 years of people processing and using cannabis. And they may not have had the high THC that we had today. So that may be why it was important to produce, you know, concentrates. So just fascinating history here. And we'll dive into some of the more modern history. So what we all know now as, you know, cannabis brownies, and sorry, you got cut off here. We've got Alice B. Toklas. And I'll send out a reformatted presentation, but she was the first one to really write a cookbook with cannabis in chocolate. So, you know, you can consider that processing. And the recipe was by Brian Dyson, who was a restaurateur. So interesting history there. So they were cooking with cannabis, concentrating it, and then beginning in 1940 and really accelerating into the 1960s is when people really started isolating the various cannabinoids. So, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, we've only been, you know, concentrating these products and really, you know, analyzing them on a compound by compound basis for... 60 or so years, maybe 80, but about 60, you know, rigorously, scientifically. So that's pretty exciting that, you know, cannabis has been around, you know, 3000 years or so. And now we get to really get scientific at a real, you know, molecular level. So, so real exciting, real exciting work, you know, still to be done. I'll kind of skim over this, but, you know, these days just wanted to talk about how cannabis extraction is done. A lot of times it's done with organic solvents. You can do solventless, which is anecdotally becoming more popular. So some of the solvents that you may use are hydrocarbons. You also can use butane and carbon dioxide. But, you know, you've got to be careful, right? Because not only are these chemicals flammable, but you don't necessarily want to be ingesting them either. So there's, you know, a purging process where, you know, you try to get rid of all these solvents. And then, you know, we see the data at the laboratory where not only are you testing for CBD, THC, you also want to make sure you don't have these residual solvents left in your product. And in particular, what we'll be talking about today is processing variability. So we'll be looking at the various compounds that producers may be trying to isolate. And we'll look at essentially how good they are at doing that. So that's was our original question is, you know, how to run a profitable processor. 
And one can argue that focusing on variability could be key. So for financial reasons, you're always trying to minimize risk. And in finance, you often just use risk as a synonym for, you know, variability, you know, your standard deviations in returns. So from a financial point of view, which drives a lot of the action here in the cannabis industry. So also for economic reasons, people are risk averse. So people are just predisposed to processes that aren't unpredictable. From an engineering point of view, you want to minimize your variance because it's going to be easier to design your system. It's going to be much harder to design your process if you've got variation in your extraction techniques. And then, of course, from a business, marketing, and public health perspective, you know, you want to maximize your consistency of your product. So marketers are anecdotally talking about how they want a consistent product for their customers. And then the from a public health point of view, if people are using these concentrates for medicinal purposes or what have you, you know, you want to make sure that people are, you know, consuming what they think they're going to be consuming. So that's where, you know, consistency, you know, matters from, you know, a public health point of view. And for the, for the newcomers, I'll let you introduce yourselves here in just a minute. I'll talk about the data and the code here, and then we can reintroduce ourselves for the newcomers and then just have open discussions. And, and please interrupt me if I'm, you know, moving a little fast here. Awesome. Well, on to the data. So always working with open source data here. And I'll share these links with you afterwards. But the Washington State has a very liberal Freedom of Information Act. And so entities like the Cannabis Observer will do periodic Freedom of Information Act requests to get access to this publicly available data. And so here is a release from November of 2021. So still quite recent data. And this data spans from 2018 till November of 2021. Caveat, this data can be notoriously hard to work with. So for example, we're looking at the lab results and, you know, unzipped, you know, the lab results can be quite sizable. So I've downloaded the these data sets here we have clocking in at 31 gigabytes we have the inventories data 
weighing in at 14 gigabytes. We've got the inventory types data. And then we have the various lab results data, which is about two and a half gigabytes total. So we have almost 50 gigabytes of data here just pertaining to lab results. So that can be a daunting task to get your, your mind around, but we've written a useful script here, which I'll actually go ahead and share with the group here. Um, I probably should have committed this earlier, but here's the latest code for today's meetup, which you can find on the Cannabis Data Science GitHub repository. So for those of you who are new, you can find all the source code here in the Cannabis Data Science repository. So that way you can follow along from the code for today. And so today the code was quite long, so I'm not going to necessarily go through it line by line, but if you need Python snippets for how to parse data, then this is a useful script. But basically what I do is I read in all of these lab results and, you know, just to give you an idea of some of the data points we're working with here, You know, for each lab result, we have a handful of cannabinoids, solvents, and then of course, some of your other screenings, such as for foreign matter, microbes, moisture, and mycotoxin, as well as some other IDs. We can then match this with the licensees data so we can get fields such as the license number. We can even get things like the city and address. Zip code of where the licensee may be. So that way you can even do geographic analysis. Also have a rich inventories fields. So here we can get just a couple things of interest. So in a future work, I want to look at quantities. So the quantities being produced. Of course, we're looking at inventory types. And this is where we get a lot of our IDs. Then we have to match this with the inventory type to find out you know, what type of product it is. And then finally, we can get the name of the strain that people gave their product. So this script essentially does that. So reads in your lab data, combines it with inventory data, combines it with inventory type data, com combines the lab results with strain data, then you combine the lab results with licensee data. And then you get all of the 
lab result fields that we're interested in here. So here are all of our fields we've collected to this point, a lot of identification fields. And then we add on all the cannabinoids and solvents and everything else that we would like. And I'll let you play around with this script, but the exciting thing is the data. So here we started with almost 50 gigabytes of data. On my first pass, I just shaved it down to the bare minimum with 30,000, with 30 megabytes of IDs and two gigabytes of names. And then you can start to clean that out. So if you add the IDs with the licensee data, actually first you add it with the strain name data, and then you're around 40 megabytes. You add that with the licensees data and you're around 90 megabytes. And then you add back the lab results data and you're sitting less than 200 megabytes, which is something to be happy with when you're starting out with 50 gigabytes of data. So that just shows you how much cleaning can reduce the fingerprint of your data. So here we just stripped out all the extraneous fields and we removed all the null values. And what we're left with is a large data set, but less of a size than, you know, some apps that are out there. So, so it's still large, but it's something that we can work with here. So just to give you a bit of a, a tutorial of the data, you know, you've got your IDs, you know what lab tested the cannabis. You've got the name that people attach to the inventory. As well as we now know what strain it is. And so you could do a incredible analysis of strains. So people have been really curious about what's in a strain, what's in Tangi, you know, what's in train wreck. So you can do an analysis here and try to find out, you know, what strains are people growing and, you know, which ones may look the most profitable. So that's a whole nother can of worms, but you can add a geographic layer. So maybe people are growing certain strains in certain parts of the state. So certain strains may be better in certain climates. You know what type of product it is. And so today we'll be specifically looking at concentrates. And then of course, the gold, you have all of the cannabinoid data. So it would be awesome to have terpene data too, but we'll take what we're given. And in this case, we are given an awesome data set of cannabinoids. And you can also utilize data on residual solvents, 
microbes, mycotoxins, you know, just so that you can maybe see what other factors play into this, right? Because, you know, you also want to be growing strains that are, you know, handle stressors in your environment. So perhaps certain strains may be more likely to fail for micro or myco. I don't know. I'm just kind of conjecturing. But there could be many interesting aspects in the data. So there you have it. We've taken a 50 megabyte data set and flattened it down into 200 megabytes. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and jump into a bit of exploratory analysis. Unless, are there any questions so far? Just checking real quick, I'm still with you all. All right, we'll must have you all entertained. So we'll get into some exploratory data analysis here. Right, so we've got uh, an awesome data set here. Once said and done, you know we're look we're looking at between a hundred thousand to you know four hundred and twenty thousand or so, um, four hundred and eighteen thousand or so observations. A lot of these may have missing values and different people. So here's a good example. Different people have different naming conventions. So for example, this cultivator is really good about putting their strain name in, but they don't have any informative inventory name. Whereas other producers may have informative inventory names, such as this this producer, however, they've got less informative, well, it, it, it's a give or take. So long story short, you, you need to, to look at both of these inventory names and strain names. But that's a whole other can of worms. <clears throat> We're going to get into cultivation next week, and this is definitely going to be something we look at because you know the strain you grow that's a critical choice so we've got awesome lab result data there and i'll make this available for the meetup group since we're all about open source open data here cool well let's get off to the races so we don't need many tools for today, really just some of the basic Python functions, you know. Well, just to recap, I was just saying, we're just going to start with some of these core packages, matplotlib, pandas, you can go a long way with them. And I was just going to say, you can think of Seaborn as an extension of matplotlib. So, for me, it's easy to conceptualize it that way. That way you just use Seaborn where matplotlib falls short. But, you know, that's sort of the nitty gritty. I use it for things like colors. And then quick, 
quick tip is uh, it's if you just want nice looking plots, just throw everything in 538 style and things look nice <laughs> right out of the box. So I already have the data read in here, but here is a snippet that you'll be able to use once I share this data with you, where you can pick and choose which variables you want. So for example, if you don't need these variables, you can just comment them out and then read in the data that you do need. For example, the data I've read in, if you look at an observation here, we've got a big, rich JSON data set here. So we ha have all the the variables that that, that I have already showed showed you, and you know in a nice JSON format. So awesome, 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 awesome. Well, let's get to some of the interesting bits. So. I've realized now that we're also going to need to include, so say we're looking at processed products, you know, we'll, we'll also need to include products where they may have used solventless extractions. So let's see if we can't identify some of these lab results where they use solventless. So the way we can do this is first, we can remember, let's look at some of these fields that we have here. So we've got inventory name, not quite what we need. We need the inventory type. I think we may even want sample. Ah, here we are, intermediate type. So let's just list out here all of the different sample types that we have. So here they are. Today, not going to be looking at flower. So next week, we'll look exclusively at flower. For today, just kind of wanted to do a deep dive into concentrates. That way we're just comparing apples to apples. So let's see if we can't just say, okay, you know, let's get everything where they either did a solvent test or, or we've got these, these intermediate types that doesn't require solvent screening. So if I believe if you're using a food grade solvent, then you don't need to get residual solvent screening. It should be included in the or statement nonetheless. And then of course, you don't need residual solvent screening if you're using a non-solventless extraction method. So I may have missed some. So this may exclude products such as edibles. We may want to repeat this analysis 
specifically for edibles to look at the average concentration in edibles. However, just going to say there's, I don't believe there's as much variability in edibles due to the regulations on edibles. I do believe there's a limit on the milligrams of THC and CBD that can be in, in an individual edible. So you see, for example, if the limit is just picking a number here, 10 milligrams per gram, then you're just going to see a lot of people trying to produce exactly 10. So it's worth a deep dive. Today, just gonna to try to work here on processed products. So we basically are just gonna start doing a bunch of conditional averages. I say you can go so far with that. It's, it, it's extraordinary. It's almost like you just kind of keep layering on conditions uh, and the data just becomes more and more interesting. Um, so let's just, once again, let's just look at our intermediate types here, just to ensure that we didn't get anything odd in the mix. And we did, we've got some flowers and some, some products we, we couldn't identify here. So let's just see if we can't just exclude those real quick. Um, so let's just say we want all the products um, where, you know, we, we don't have, um, let's just say everything where the intermediate type is there. And we, we, we don't want to look at flowers for today. Um, that's probably just a, a miscoding there. So let's see if we can't refine our products a little better. Okay, so we can't um, negate that. So we'll negate there. That's better. Awesome. So let's just double check that we just have Well, somehow it looks like we may just have to proceed as is, um, just for expediency sake here. Okay, so not getting those, aha, just need to fix this to an and condition. Um, We may not be able to get rid of the NANDs for now, but that's okay. We were able to at least exclude the flowers. So, ooh, question? Okay, okay, Dean, apologize that it is a bit, but, but good to have you nonetheless. And sorry for all that, it may be a little scattered today. I spent uh, most of my time just writing this big script to compile all the data. So next week, I'll try to have things a bit more organized. So 
that's why it's sort of just been from the top today. So my apologies, but we'll hone things in for the future. But without further ado, let's get to some interesting numbers and some figures here. We should have gotten to the figures before Dean had to go. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and get the total cannabinoids here. Interesting. It looks like we may have missed um, some of these cannabinoids. One second. Interesting. So it looks like we may have missed some of these cannabinoids. So I think I may have missed CBN. You've missed some of these. Um, interesting. Oh, well, we'll uh, proceed with the data that we do have. Okay, also don't have CBGA and THCV. So my apologies, I'll have to add those cannabinoids back to the data set. Awesome. So, we now are down to a small data set here, only have about 800 observations. So, want to to relook at why that may be um so like i said this is sort of the first go at analyzing this data the different types of concentrates you see in the market so this is where things actually get interesting right so we can see wow you know a bulk of the market is done with ethanol concentrates followed by hydrocarbon, followed by CO2, with food grade and non-solventless making up just, just above 10% of the whole market. So any thoughts or comments about this breakdown? Good question? Uh, yeah, I was just uh, for the solvent versus non-solvent based, would the uh, non-solvent be a lot more expensive? I'm not too familiar with the processes. Is that why it would be lower is one of the reasons well you raise a real interesting point and so this is something that it depends so at the retail level do consumers have a demand for non-solventless extracts so that's an awesome question so we should combine this with retail data and see does do products that are made with solventless methods, do they retail at a higher price than other concentrates? So is there a premium placed on non-solventless? And it also may depend on the concentration. So I've been wanting to do an analysis on does concentration of cannabinoids affect the retail price? I don't know if anybody's looked at that yet. And I think it would be so easy to do with this data that we have here in Washington. All we would do is run a regression of 
price, which we have, we were at sales. So we have sales on the concentration of that product and see if there's a positive or negative correlation. All we're going to do is add a time component to our analysis. And then we're essentially going to track the breakdown of analyses used over time. So is solventless becoming a greater or a smaller proportion of the market? We don't know, but we can easily answer that. Did that answer your question? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Just uh, I'm wondering about price and also like if it's a lot more difficult to do, which I'm assuming it would be. Exactly. If you're if you're doing like a high pressure non-solventless extraction, that may be challenging. There are people out there who are doing it, and then yes, the price point is is critical. So let's look at it. You know, let's essentially combine this data with the price data. And like I said, it would just be interesting to see if there's any correlation between price and any of the other factors, because it doesn't necessarily, like it doesn't necessarily matter, right? It all depends on consumers' preferences. The, um, too bad our classic, one of our classic members isn't here today because she could talk about her preferences because, you know, consumers are hard to predict so it's really hard to predict um what they like but we can look at the data awesome just to to round it out here we can start looking at some of the concentrations so still this is just sort of pseudocode so still need to make sure that everything works correctly but here we have the average concentration and the standard deviation found in various concentrates. So let's just look at the average concentration first. So here you have topping the charts. This actually kind of surprises me. Topping the charts, you have ethanol coming in at an average of 81% total cannabinoids with hydrocarbon concentrates just behind at an average of 80%. And then quite a, quite a lower average, you've got CO2 concentrates and food grade solvents around 60, 61% for CO2. I find that interesting. And then here you see the non-solventless actually has the lowest average cannabinoids. And I would conjecture that that's because I wouldn't be surprised if people who are doing non-solventless extracts may be doing things like bubble hash, which isn't which i don't think necessarily will have the extraction um i'm not sure what the word is for it um efficiency perhaps 
that some of the other extraction may no that makes sense like uh do you think more product would have to be used because it's less efficient and that might be part of the tie into price i guess well that, that's what i i have a my prior is that it does so my prior is that consumers have a preference for higher cannabinoid concentrations so you get a price premium right they're basically paying per milligram of thc so price so you'd have to you know sell salt something that's 53 percent at a lower price than something that's 80 percent thc for the consumer to purchase the same milligrams of thc so if you abstract it that oh the consumers in the market for milligrams of thc then you would expect that something with 53% would have a lower price point. If it's got a lower price point, there may not be as many people in the market for it. Um, but I think this is critical to look at the strain name on this one because I think the strain and inventory name could be really informative because you may want to try to separate out if there's different types of these non-solventless extracts. So for example, some may specifically say they're bubble hash and others may not. And it would be interesting to see if there's any groupings that you can make within these product categories. And then basically, just to finish out what we began with, essentially I was saying, okay, you've got your different extraction mechanisms and they're going to have their different efficacy rates. If you have two extraction mechanisms that are about the same, so that would be hydrocarbon concentrates and ethanol concentrates, and as well CO2 concentrates and food grade solvent concentrates, then from these reasons that we stated in the presentation, you know, from financial reasons, economic reasons, engineering, business marketing, public health, you would gravitate towards the one that has a lower variance, lower standard deviation. So here, Let's see if we can't pick the ones that would win. So if we're comparing hydrocarbons to ethanol extraction, like ethanol just takes the cake. So hydrocarbon concentrates. And like I said, we, we want to look at this at like a processor by processor basis um, and even see if we can't disentangle these into more subgroupings but right out of the bat you know our first impression is oh you know hydrocarbon concentrates have a standard deviation of almost 10 percent whereas you know ethanol concentration uh, ethanol concentrates by and far have the lowest the lowest variability the lowest standard deviation with their standard deviation being less than 4%.
So that means you would expect around 95% of your products would be within 8% of 81%. So you would expect your products, they could be varying from, you know, around 73 to around 90% concentrate. And, you know, some process, and this is why you could also look at it by a processor by processor basis, which is exactly what we'll be doing on Saturday, because we can do this exact same analysis processor by processor and over time. And what that would show would be, okay, are the processors who are testing the most samples, do they have a high concentration and do they have a low standard deviation in their concentration? And I would naively predict that there's a positive correlation between average concentration and the total number of samples you test, as well as a negative correlation between your standard deviation in the samples you test. And so I would just basically say the people who are able to operate with the lower variability, I conjecture they're going to be more profitable. We'll let the data show on Saturday. Um, and also, you know, we can look at this over time to see, okay, are people honing in their processes over time or are people's very standard deviations, is this decreasing over time? Is it increasing? How about concentration? Is concentration increasing, decreasing, staying constant? Because, for example, if, co if concentration starts to become pretty stable, you everybody sort of, they've got their extraction techniques. That may not be the case. People may be getting better and better extraction techniques over time. Have a standard deviation of almost 18%. I was just going to say, rounding out for today, if you were going to compare food grade solvents with CO2 concentrates, you would look at the standard deviation since their average concentration is about the same. And you would see people with who are producing with food grade solvent concentrates on average have a standard deviation of almost 18%, which is, when you think about it, quite extraordinary. That would suggest, you know, it wouldn't be implausible to have your food grade concentrate, you know, almost 100%, as well as almost 10% um, or 15%. So would that actually shake out? May or may not. But long story short, that's quite a that's a quite a high quite a high variation. Same same with the non-solvent list. The people who are doing non-solvent lists, big variation. So, if you know, if I were to suggest an extraction method, you know, well, I may not to suggest this one. So you know, so if you were going to do food grade solvent versus CO two concentrate. You know, it does look like, you know, CO2 concentrates have about the same, if not higher, average concentration. 
and they also have a lower standard deviation. Keep in mind, it matters what you measure. So remember here, we still have a whole lot of other factors to look at. So in particular, the solvents. So I would want to know, okay, our CO2, it's got around the same concentration. It's got lower standard deviation. What's its failure rate? Because, you know, if we're failing for solvents uh, left and right, um, that's not going to necessarily be profitable. So it's, this is why, you know, to running a profitable business, it just matters on so many metrics, on so many fronts, right? You've got to worry about your concentration. You've got to worry about your standard deviation. You've got to worry about your failure rate, um, you know, and for example, what are consumers' preferences? So that's why it'd be interesting to see what the shakedown is in the market over time. So are consumers gravitating towards one type of product or another? You know, it's just just so many factors here that play out in running a profitable producer, processor. And I think the lesson of the day is, you know, variability matters. So, you know, if, just if you're looking at variability, you can start to make educated decisions of, okay, do I choose hydrocarbon concentrate? Do I choose ethanol? Um, and like I said, this isn't the end of the story. You'll want to see if you can't make subgroups. So see, okay, can we use the strain name and the inventory name to even further classify these samples. And then also, of course, you'll want to, you know, take a look at the, some of the variables that you're screening for, just to make sure that, you know, everything's passing at the rate that you want it to. And for that, I'm going to go ahead and conclude the presentation just to, so I'm respectful of everybody's time. However, were there any questions? I know it was a bit of a rocky start, but hopefully we we got into gear there towards the end. So any questions? Comments? Uh, I, I guess uh, just for the forecasting you're talking about on Saturday, uh, do yeah. you guys usually just run like simple regressions pretty much? We heavily lean on Box Jenkins slash Arima forecasting, if you may have heard of it. So not. It's essentially a time series technique. You just use an observation that you can track over time. In this case, we'll just be tracking concentrations over time, month by month. You could potentially do day by day. I like month by month Ooh. or even week by week. Week by week is quite powerful. And then you just use a series of observations and you forecast them into the future. So you basically use things like, oh, does this series have a trend? Is there a moving average component? And then you basically, it is a regression model. It's, it is a regression model at the end of the day. And, and yes, you can get quite accurate, surprisingly accurate forecasts for the future. 
So I always like to say it's a heck of a lot better having a guesstimate of the future than no estimate of the future. So definitely join us if you want, because not only will be will be will we be forecasting the average concentration for aggregate and by individual processor, we'll also get to forecast their variability, which is uh, a more advanced statistical technique, but we'll do it simply and easily because that's the way things should be done. And we can get a nice forecast for people's variability. And that way we can rank order all of the processors and see, okay, who's who's got the highest average concentration week by week? Who's got the lowest standard deviation week by week? And then see how the industry is moving. So is there any trend in average concentrations? Are people getting more efficient over time? We'll be able to answer all those questions. It will be exciting. Okay, thank you. Definitely. And if you can't make it on Saturday, just feel free to register. It's $1 and I'll send you all the source code and materials. So I hope uh, your value will be tenfold, if not more. So check it out, Saturday Morning Statistics. If not, then next Wednesday we'll pick up with producer, like cultivators. So we'll look more at the cultivation side next time. Maybe kind of recap on what we did today. So it's extraordinary work. So if you have any breakthrough discoveries, questions along the way, ideas, yeah, feel free to share them because it would be awesome to have a collaborative effort to really dig deep into this data because there is, there's so many questions to answer and not enough time. So <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do a lot though. So. Thank you all for coming. So I can't thank you enough for coming. So it's real, it's been fun, you know, and hopefully, yeah, we were able to get through some of the internet lags there and yeah, maybe you found it worthwhile. So definitely feel free to share some of your feedback. Yeah, I'll always here if you want to send a message. Awesome, thank you, Deacon. Awesome, thank you all. Keep your nose to the grindstone and have an awesome week.